This event was recorded live at the 2015 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Good afternoon and welcome um, to today's session. Uh, my name is Jenny Niven, I'm Head of Literature, Publishing and Languages at Creative Scotland. Um, I'm delighted today um, to be presenting this interesting panel of folks. Um, it's uh, co-sponsored by Theatre Mundi, um, who are a global organisation um, creating actually uh, creating spaces um, for, per, for, for performance, essentially. Um, this is one of the first times that they have looked specifically at libraries rather than the other performing arts, um, so a new direction for them. Um, but they have huge expertise in bringing together um, voices from all over the world to discuss um, the, the possibilities and potentials, I think, um, in this case of libraries. Um, and we've got two very interesting um, guests with us this afternoon. Um, on my far right is Sergio Fajardo. Um, Sergio is currently the governor of the Department of Antioquia, Colombia. Um, from 2003 to 2007, he was the mayor of Median in Colombia, um, Colombia's second largest city. Um, during this time, he was credited with transforming the city through a strident program of public works, including new libraries, which we're obviously going to discuss this afternoon. He has a mathematics degree um, from the Universidad de los Andes from Bogota, Colombia, a PhD in mathematics, a polymath, um, and a minor in economics from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, also with us this afternoon is Amina Shah. She is Chief Executive of the Scottish Library and Information Council. Um, she was previously the de Deputy Head of Dundee Library and Information Services. Um, Amina has led a number of innovative and transformative projects with an emphasis on reducing the digital divide. She's a passionate, as you will see, advocate for the role of libraries um, in ensuring equality of opportunity in society. She was also this year involved in a really important piece of strategic work um, looking at the role of um, the public library um, and reshaping public libraries in Scotland, which she's going to talk a bit more um, for us about this afternoon. Um, there's a provocation for this session, um, which I think we will see how closely, how loosely we adhere to that over the next hour. Um, the idea um, comes from Alan Bennett, um, who writes in the library book that in the current struggle to preserve public libraries, not enough stress has been laid on the library as a place, not just a facility. Where space is at a premium and peace and quiet not e always easy to find, a library is a haven. But is it simply a matter of refuge? How does a library integrate people into a city? And beyond the question of economics, how does literacy empower people? So there's obviously masses of material even within that provocation. Um, but I think it will be really interesting to try and draw out some of the differences and similarities between the situation in Colombia and in Scotland um, and explore that a little bit. And also, I think, to talk about some of the very, very pressing challenges um, facing public libraries in both of our respective um, countries just at the moment, because I'm sure all of you coming out today, I, uh, can I just ask you actually how many people are involved directly in working in public libraries in Scotland? Yeah, a few. And how many are library users? <laughs> um, great, it's a subject that really um, people are passionate about and rightly so. Um, there's obviously critical pressure on our library services at the moment, even this week there's been new announcements around that. So lots to discuss, so we will leave um, a good amount of time for questions from yourselves um, towards the end of the session. 
But format-wise, we're going to start. Sergio's going to give us a bit of an overview of some of the work that he's been doing in Medellin um, with some slides. Um, he'll describe some of um, his, his work. And then we'll have <coughs> some detail from Amina on hey, her work here in Scotland. And then a chance for um, our two panellists to uh, kind of share um, and question each other, I think, on their respective areas before handing over to yourselves. So, without further ado, please give a very warm welcome to Sergio Farado and Amina Shah. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Sergio, shall I start? start us off? Okay, I'm trying to find my wife. Oh, here she is. I, I, I was nervous I didn't see her. Well, thank you very much for having me here. I'll have to go quick and fast and directly to the point, and I'm going to talk very little about Medellin. I'm going to talk okay. about Antioquia, but I'll go, I'm going to explain you a few things before I'll start showing you some images so that you will see where we are, who we are. It's not that, uh, I don't assume most people know about Medellin, Antioquia, and all these places, but you will get a good taste of them. The first thing is, what we do is a political uh, enterprise. So we have decided, when I say we, a group of people in Medellin 16 years ago, indignated with what has happened in Colombia, in particular in our town, we took and we made a decision. We are going to take part in politics. We didn't belong to the political world. Mm. We didn't like it in many senses. But we said, politicians are the ones who made the most important decision in our society, whether we like them or not. And secondly, we have try been trying to affect society, to put our ideas as part of our society, but at the end we always said, this should be done, but who is going to do it? So we decided we are going to create a civic independent movement, we are going to organize ourselves, we are going to win the election for mayor of Medellin, and then we are going to transform this society. That was 16 years ago, and we have done it, pretty much. Bravo. I'll show you. <laughs> anyway. And we said, we are going to make education the engine of social transformation in Medellin and now in Antioquia. When I say education, I'm talking about education, science, technology, innovation, entrepreneurship, culture, not just the school system, but that has been our political project. So the, we have been working since day one on solving three problems. Oh, everything that we do is related to the solution of the problems. Our problem is not to build libraries in Colombia or in Medellin. Or in, that's not our project. Our project is to transform our society, find a way to get these three problems solved, which are, one, inequality. That's a very well-known word these days, but we have known it for decades, centuries. We are experts on inequality. Colombia is very unequal, Medellin is unequal, Antioch is very unequal. We know that from many years ago, many, many years. That's one problem that we recognize. Secondly, violence. The reason I may be here is because Medellin and Colombia, we have had violence associated with narco-traffic. Violence is a, has been a very crucial part of our lives, very difficult, of course. And then the culture of illegality which is part of what happens in a society like ours, and corruption, which is a main chapter within illegality. We have been working on those three problems. Our political project is solve those problems. I'm talking as a mathematician, and we have been working on that. And as we say, education, in understood in the broad sense that we mentioned. So we know a few things. 
I'll try to state them as clearly as possible. First, what's the power of, power of violent people? Fear. That's all over. Violence is associated with fear, and they, when you are fearful, and a community is fearful, you lose your dignity, which is a crucial word for us. Dignity is a key concept in the way we built all our things. Now, what's the, the association with inequality? Needs and frustration. People say, well, I belong to this society. There is, an, there is no path for me within here. And that's when illegality becomes an alternative. When people say, well, there is another al alternative here. This, uh, there is this illegal world. So when you have fear, needs, and frustration, and illegality comes, and uh, the best way to express illegality is a culture where the end justifies the means as opposed as what we, we want and think and do. The, the needs are the ones that justify the end. So we came into power and said, we're going to change this. We haven't changed it. We have been working on it, of course. But we have been moving our society from dignity, respect, capabilities, and we approach our relationship to the communities from a very different sense. So for example, in Medellin and in Antioquia, I'm going to talk mostly an about Antioquia. I'll mm -hmm. show you some pictures. But the key point has been we have to get together. When you have violence, as a permanent feature in your daily lives, people are fragmented. You are in your own, survive. You don't live, but you survive. So there is no citizenship. We don't get together, everyone, and that's the power that they have. You are scared, you are afraid, you are fearful, so everyone is surviving. So we knew that we have to get together so that together we can rebuild our communities. Then we knew that associated with capabilities and dignity, we had education, we went through schools, and we have a huge school program talking about people being capable, as opposed to sub, uh, subjudge. I mean, you are kneeling in front of other people who say you are capable as a human being, and we can all get together, and we, have, we can do it. So we knew, for example, that we have to build new spaces where we will get together. But those new spaces will mean connect public space so we can get together. You are fragmented, we, can, we want to connect, put things together. And in those new places, they have to be the most beautiful places for the humblest people. Dignity. It's not just an architectural project. It, this is not a project of architects or urbanists. It's a political project that has a physical expression. That physical expression goes along with what we are talking about, about changing our society. And in those places, we did many things. For example, park libraries in Medellin. It's not a library in the traditional sense. It's a place where we are going to get together, a community where we have been had, having a lot of violence, there's something beautiful in there. The people have been dreaming about it. We get together in that place. There are some books, mm -hmm. but there is a place for the cultural center, for kids, and so on. And we get together. It's the most beautiful building in Medellin. So that's a very powerful message. In the humblest neighborhood, we have the most beautiful building. It's a park library. It's associated with people getting together against violence. And then we are changing communities' lives and the way we interact. Then we are doing that in Antioquia. Antioquia is the state. Now I'm the governor of Antioquia, and I'll show you a little bit. Now, Antioquia has 125 municipalities. Maybe the best thing I should do, that's me. Actually, our program is Antioquia the most educated. 
that's the statement that characterizes it was Medellin the most educated mm -hmm. in the sense of a challenge we have to people well I don't have time to argue talk too much about it that's North America there Central America South America at the top of South America is Colombia right by Cana Pana Panama the Panama Channel and within Colombia there is this great place is Antioquia that's my state and that's the state of Antioquia. We have rivers, we have the ocean, we have three huge rivers, we have the mountains, the Andes Mountain, 125 municipalities spread all over the place. You are going to see, when we talk about mountains, you are going to see mountains. And <laughs> I'll show you them in a second. Very diverse, six and a half million people. Scotland has wow. five million people. And very diverse, all colors, identity, black, Afri uh, Afro, Indian, Mestizo, all sorts of things happens in a, happen in Antioquia and in Colombia. Can I just ask what kind of geographical area that's over? Is it densely populated or sparsely? Or Sparts, but we have this metropolitan area around Medellin. Medellin is the capital, two and a half million people, 10 municipalities, a metropolitan area, more than close to four million people, and then okay. the rest, two and a half million people, is spread around. Okay. And that's the map of Antioquia. The Caribbean Ocean up there, very close to Panama, three main rivers going through it and as you can see those things that you see are mountains the andes mountains finish up they begin in chile and end up in uh, in colombia and half of it end up in antioquia that's my state medellin is here and that's the rest of antioquia so you what we are doing and we are going through all these places we have to bring to every human being in antioquia the sense that they are digni dignified as human beings, that we belong to a community, and that we have capabilities. And one symbol of this, of course, is education, the formal education, the schools. We have to build the schools. We have had, not only in Antioquia, but in Colombia, you may have ha heard about the peace process. We have had guerrillas. We have had everything. Mm. But we are very resilient and marvelous society. Many, we, we, you go to Colombia and you're not, you are not afraid, you are not worried, people live on. But we have to turn the page of violence and build a new page, which is the intelligence, decency, capabilities, dignity. And that's the one that you build through education. So we know that we have to get through all these places and bring what we mean, what we want as a society. So for example, this is in the countryside in Antioquia. That's a very small town, uh, not town, Vereda. I forgot. Uh, Hamlet. 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 The Vereda. I'll show you. That used to be the school there. Just one school for all the kids around. The countryside. That's the teacher. It used to be like that. And then we built it like that. The message is very powerful. It's not only mathematics, literature, books, and all these things, but dignity. And from then on, we start building the way we relate. You can see our kids. That, that's, that's, that's the mixture that we have. I'll show you more. This used to be a destroyed one. If I manage destroyed one, and there it is like that. It's very powerful. Very few people affected by this. It would be negible, forgettable <laughs> <laughs> if we count the number of people who attend the school. 
given the size of the state. But it's a very powerful message that goes all around. And we are saying to people, studying is worthwhile. We have to study. Because people would get out of school quickly because they, saw they had no hope. Inequality, one of the conditions is there is no hope. There is violence. What am I going to do? Get out of school, whatever I can find, I can do. So we are building everywhere the message saying you have to stay in school. School is going to be the best place. Mm. Here's where you are dignified as a human being. You have your capabilities. It doesn't matter how far you live. It doesn't matter how rich your family is, what you color, the skin color, whether you are man or woman. That's the place where we are building marvelous things. So we make the school a place where people can relate to being different. And we older people, when we see there is hope, our kids are going to live much better than we. We are going to have a chance. They are going to have scholarships and so on. And we start building, 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 building. And the message is getting everywhere. Mm. But education is getting there. And there is a place with books within li this little school. But we are getting together, and then I'll show you more. It's another place that was destroyed. Now it is like this. Beautiful. It has to be beautiful. Very well built. It's not because they are poor. Whatever you put in there is they are winning because they are poor, whatever. No, it has to be the most beautiful building. Unbelievable. And then we built some, am I? I think I'm taking too long. No, 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 no. It's no, okay. no, no. Okay. <laughs> no, no. I get very excited and I forget no, about time. Yeah, no, no, it's all. But, okay. Now I'm going to tell you what we are doing in Antioquia with what we call the Parques Educativos. We have to remember our project is transform society. It's not education. Of course, it's the key narrative that allows us to get people around us. But we. In Medellin, we build park libraries, park of sciences, cultural centers, schools, all these things. But Medellin has two and a half million people. What are we going to do? This is the jungle. This is by close to the Pacific. This is called the Atrato River. It's a huge river that we have in Colombia. And we have a town there that is the poorest in Antioquia, and they have 6,000 people. That's the inhabitants that they have. What do we do there? So what we came up with was the following. We are going to build 80 parques educativos. A parque educativo is a place, a beautiful place always, unique where the town finds their identity. And the parque educativo you will find first a room for teachers. We say maestras and maestros. In Spanish you have both words, feminine and masculine. Maestras and maestros. Actually, 70% of teachers are women, and usually you, you just say maestro and forget about women as part of the development. So we have the special place. And that has a meaning because we have been talking about violent people, illegal people, and we want to be the outstanding people in every town, the teachers. That sounds trivial in many places. For us, it's quite huge. Turning the page, we are going to write another page, but this has to be, they have to be the main actors. In those places, we have technology. Technology is wonderful because we can get there. There is no road to get to this town that I'm going to show you. You have to go either flying, a private fly, or through the river, which is very difficult. And there has been a lot of violence around this town. So we have the place for technology. And then you have the place for entrepreneurship in the sense that people get together and say, think about where we belong, what can we do here, how we can educate ourselves. 
And then you have a place for culture and so on. So every town builds this new place. But we had a contest, an open competition for the places. It wasn't that I was handing out parques educativos throughout, but we had a competition. And the competition meant, had three conditions. One, where are, going, uh, where are you going to build it? They had to bring a very good piece of land mm -hmm. so that they were go going to build it there. The, most, the best place in town has to be the place where we are going to build the Parque Educativo. Then, what's the education program for this town? Nobody cared about what's the education program. Well, what are we going to do with here with education? We have to improve in math. We are doing poor, very poorly many standardized tests and so on. Well, we are dealing with it. And then, how the community is going to be part of the elaboration of the proposal that they are going to submit for this open competition? And how much money they are going to put up apart so that they can support the park? So we had this competition. So from day zero, the community was involved. Everyone in that yeah. community was dreaming about, we are going to have a Parque Educativo. For the first time in their lives, they are dreaming about something together. It wasn't given by the, the governor saying, there you have this, but they were there was a competition. So they would be drawing, the kids would be all expecting what, what yeah. is going to be uh, the result of the competition. It was fantastic, but from day zero, we had the community in power. They were taking part of this. It wasn't a given. There you have poor people, there you have your park. No, they won it. And the 80 municipalities won it throughout this competition. So then they had a particular architect. This, not, this is not the same park for everywhere. Every town has a particular architect, only one person designed this, a beautiful place according to the town. And then we had the municipality table for the supervising mm -hmm. the, the, the construction. So people would be taking part. The citizens would be engaged, seeing how, where the money is, how it is going to be built, what's the name of the park that was a competition in the town and so on. Mm -hmm. So we built it and then we start having activities. There are some common activities throughout all of Antioquia. And at the same time, there are particular activities associated with the identity of the municipality. And with the technology, we're going to put together people who had never, who hadn't had a chance to see themselves in their lives. They will never see each other because they are so far away. But with technology, we're connecting these parques educativos, and then we are building a new activity in the town. All right. I'll show you some pictures and finish. <laughs> the Atrato River, that's the town. Vigia del Fuerte, very poor. It's a, a black town, African, Afro-American town, very poor. That's the jungle, physically the jungle around. That's the sidewalks. That's the community taking part. They are discussing. They are drawing the map of the town, saying what this should be here. What are we going to present as a submit as a proposal? And they want the park. That's the park. <laughs> and that's the party. The first day when they want the park. And that's the park. And that's how we are building around the park, the sports, the adult people learning, literacy, digital literacy, the community taking part in the process. This, they, there, there is an indigenous con, uh, community around. That's the place where they used, to, they used to go. Now they go to this place. That's how they interact inside. And that's how the town looks like right now after we do, did all these things. That's dignity. We came with a message. Very, very few people, 6,000. But the powerful message goes throughout all our mountains. 
Talk about mountains. Here is in TTDB, coffee, uh, coffee Town. That's the Parque Educativo. Wow. That's the party. They have the best, we, are, we, are, we claim that we are going to produce the best coffee in the world, specialty <laughs> coffee. They have the, their uh, tienda within the parque, and people are learning new activities around coffee. That's another place in Tarso. That's the park. That's the teacher's room that I mentioned to you. They get together and they give a different vision. That's another place. This is called Peque, very far within the mountains. It's very difficult to get there. You see the beautiful park that we built in there. They want it. And that's the place, and they are dancing ballet there. Nobody ever thought that ballet could be dancing with in this place where they are dancing. I'm not the woman who is teaching them learn by internet how to teach it ballet. <laughs> that's another place, John Doe, by other river, Magdalena River. That's the park. That's inside the kids, very different kids. That's another part of Antioquia. This is a uh, Guatape. This is a, we have this hydroelectric project, it's called, I forgot. That's the park. That's how they get together. San Carlos, this is a town that was affected very much by violence. 70% of the town left the town. Now they are going back. The conditions have changed. And the Parque Educativo is called Genesis. Mm -hmm. That's the name they chose. There it is. Wow. Another one. This is the literary banquet. This woman here is a teacher, and she decided to create a, what would they call the literary banquet. So you have the entrance, main course, and so on, and wow. those are different readings. And that's what they do and in class. there. <laughs> Begachi, another one. This is the kid who is studying in Medellin, and the, he goes back to school, and he has the literary club. Another mountain, another part of town. Anyway. How did you fund so these, Sergio? With our money. Yeah. <laughs> there, so there can I actually just, just because we will need to give um, Amina a chance to describe some of yeah, And I think I the community empowerment stuff that you're describing is really key to some of the work that Amina's been doing. But just before we move on from that, can I just get you to um, be a little bit more specific about the role of knowledge and libraries and literacy within this project? Was it a kind of core requirement that each one of the centres had that as a, a, a kind of foundation principle? Oh. Or how did it work? We had some basic spaces that are common, but they, ca they are flexible. Now, we have from Antioquia, from the capital, from Medellin, we designed some programs that are the same all over the right. place. For example, we have the literary club. All parks have the literary clubs. Uh, we have the math network. We have the ethno-education program. We have the ethics network discussing about legality throughout the mm -hmm. state. Then in each park, they are start building what they want to say. We want to specialize on this. So we need this particular knowledge. So we have some particular programs. We are going to build the university program. We have a state university, which is something that we are very proud of, the State University of Antioquia. By using technology, we are going to take the programs there using professors in the town, mm. from the university, by means of technology, so that they can get into the higher studies. Mm. So we, with each program, with each town, we have some common things, and then we have some particular things going there. For example, there are some what that we call bilingual parks. They are kids from mm. Britain, 
and from the United States right now teaching English for six months in yeah, some right. of these parks. So it's plenty of movement right. around. We have different activities, we have common activities, mm. and we let people... But there's a real privileging of knowledge above everything else, in a way, mm. which is... Is, is that accurate? I wouldn't say no. Well, knowledge, sure, yeah. learning, but not in but the I traditional sense. Human spirit, perhaps. Yeah, better. It's really interesting how much you getting together. Hope there is hope. Right. We can do things here. Something extraordinary is going to happen to us. We can do it. We can have all these things that we never dreamed. That's what I was going to say. That I think is really interesting and uh, really phenomenal that you've been able to put the philosophy and the kind of aspiration right at the top and allowed that to guide the projects that you've then developed. And and, and you say that th that in this context that would seem something trivial. In fact, we're entirely the upper <laughs> the opposite way round. And I would argue that we need to get much closer back to that kind of philosophy that you can be driven by the the aspiration of the big goals about. And and this is something that I mean as strategy for public libraries discussions has encompassed a lot about um, how we really value libraries and, uh, and the acquisition of knowledge and not just functional literacy, but the imagination and the gateway that, that, that books provide into that whole other way of thinking. And, and I would say as well, just the equality of opportunity. Mm. So that's the so kind yeah. of base that we came from in, in, in talking about that, was the idea that literacy, I mean, libraries were, public libraries were founded in the first place to create equality of opportunity so that every man could sit with the genius of mankind. And that's exactly why you're doing that. So it's, um, the, same, it's mm. the same ethos to get to the same objective. And I think that it's really refreshing to hear that you're starting, you're looking at this problem from now and seeing that as the solution. Spaces where people can get together, where they can collaborate, where they can create, where it's public space, where it belongs to them. And in Scotland, we've had exactly the same kind of dialogue recently, mm. where we've been looking at articulating what the value is, because we had that. Uh, many years ago and we've lost our way slightly and we wanted to get back to a place where we could collectively agree what what are libraries about what is so special about them what is it about literacy and common space and connectedness that we value and recently it's come to us because of digital exclusion um, in the way that when libraries were first established people would um, go and learn how to read and write. And, and that is still a huge issue um, in Scotland as well. But um, now people have to go online. And they, there's a, a, a health agenda as well, Blythe, are you here from the Scottish Government? The lead on self-management from the Scottish Government, Blythe, there he is, um, has told me an astounding statistic. And every time I repeat it, I have to check. And I met him today again. I said, can I just <laughs> ask you again, is this correct? But it is. 43% of adults living in Scotland can't understand the instructions on paracetamol, childhood paracetamol medicine. So the problem that we have is huge in terms of literacy. Mm -hmm. And then that is now being embedded further by digital exclusion. Um, and so we've got a real opportunity to take the public space, the libraries that are more than, than, than schools. They're, they're move on from schools. They're for people, they're for everyone. Uh, many people, we've done some work recently in prison libraries and you find that many prisoners have a, had a bad relationship with school but they will walk into a library and, and the, the importance of prison libraries is if you can get those relationships 
in the prison and make them realise that the library mm -hmm. can offer that support. That's a bridge for when they come out into the community to stop that cycle. There's really, I'd love to be able to draw a diagram of it or something, but there's this real interconnectedness with the cycle, and it's the same as you've, you've described, of literacy, poverty, mm -hmm. dignity, you know, going round and round. And I think they're really interconnected and the same. And it's, it's so fascinating to hear you have the same issues. In fact, even your islands, we have islands, we have islands and um, areas. Um, Steve knows, he works with Scottish Futures Trust. And recently, the Scottish government have given £1.5 million towards improving Wi-Fi in community spaces and internet connectedness. Because uh, within Scotland, we have that same problem. We have places like Nordart that you can only get to on a boat, <laughs> places mm. where people want to live and do business and be connected um, and, and be aware of the outside world to learn, to grow. Um, and where can they do that? Where is the public space? Mm. And we want to grow. And Jenny was, was also heavily involved in the, um, the developing the national strategy and also her own literature sector review and the interconnectedness of that. Because how do we describe ourselves? as a nation, as people, of who we are as human beings, if we can't articulate it. It's, um, in, in 1984, what do they, they, they do? They talk about um, easy speak, right. or uh, I can't remember, that someone correct me with the right word, but there's a line in it where it says, if we, if we stop them being able to, to say what they feel, they won't be able to think anymore. And that, I think, just describes so well the, the importance of literacy mm. and empowerment because it's part of the democratic empowerment and also it's so interesting that to draw the parallel from what you were saying about about political empowerment because recently with the referendum in Scotland what we've seen is a much more engaged dialogue and to in order for people we've become much more aware that for in order for people to take part in that dialogue and that democratic process they need to be literate they need to be also mm. digitally literate and it turned out, I have, uh, Louise MacDonald, who's the chief exec of Young Scott, an organisation we have here to promote young people, um, she told me that research has shown that more young people engaged in the referendum and looked at different bits of information to make their decision because they could go online and they were more digitally literate. So it just shows the importance mm. of having access and the freedom of information and the empowerment of communities. And I see some really interesting parallels, yeah. actually, between... Colombia and Scotland. Yesterday I was Antioquia, in Antioquia. Antioquia. Yes, absolutely. Yesterday I was in Springburn, an area of Glasgow of multiple deprivation. I was saying to you earlier, I was at visiting an FE college library there, and it's absolutely in an area where you just wouldn't imagine you would see this cathedral of learning, a beautiful building, and. Um, the person I was meeting told me, I, when I walked in, I said, this is fabulous to have in this community. It's beautiful. And I'm terrified of dogs. So when I come out the train station, my first, it was like, a, you know, I was thinking, we're, we're like, be attacked by any dogs here. It looked a bit scary. You come in and you see this cathedral of beautiful, beautiful, safe space for the community. And they're making things. It's a college. So they're making jewelry. They're designing things. People are dreaming, imagining a different kind of life. And uh, Craig Green, who's the chair of Philip, said to me that a, a woman from the community went there for the first time and just started crying when it was first built 
because she said, I've never imagined we would have a space like this in our community. And that's just as you're describing. It relates exactly. so directly to what, uh, and I think it was really interesting, Sergio, when you said that the, um, the uh, part of the kind of process of restoring the dignity to the communities that you were or allowing people to rebuild their own sense of dignity was to give them beautiful things and beautiful spaces to work in um, and, and to really aspire to, you know, it shouldn't, as you said, um, just because we're poor, it, that doesn't mean it should be ramshackle, it should be gorgeous, which is yeah. exactly what you're saying. And Springburn, which... The first step is always you have to be able to dream. Right. And violent be <laughs> violence in illegality take away your capability about dreaming. If you don't dream, you get nowhere. Once you get invested with your dignity, then you dream. And then it's our challenge to find a way how we can express those dreams and how we can capture what we have. Mm. And what we have done is, is through education in this sense. This is just a part of what we do. But we do, at the end, if we have the basic principles, dignity, recognition, respect, ability to dream, and capabilities, then we find a path. Mm. And that's what we are finding. And, that, yeah. and if you, you see people, people transform. Yeah. Did you meet with political resistance when you rolled out that agenda? Because I'm thinking if that kind of proposition was suggested here, there's always an economic solution to things or there's a different way of addressing the problems. But, you know, if the problems were inequality, violence, illegality, I cannot imagine the political system here responding with knowledge, education. It's just not where we're at right now. It feels like, did, what, what was your experience with we, that? We are alternative in the sense that we have... We are very powerful because two reasons. One, we have the trust of people. We have won mm -hmm. elections. I've never been a candidate for anything in my life. The only public position that I had before being governor of Antioquia was mayor of Medellin. Never anything. But we meant what we did. We came walking to, through the streets, everyone, and we won by a landslide. People trust us. And we have the power of ingenuity. Mm -hmm. Said we are going to do this. If we stop, and ask everyone if this is this could be done i wouldn't be here <laughs> we are still i mean i would have been re-elected to governor and we have been we would be, be at this time working on the buildings in medellin because there are plenty of problems but we said we are going to do it and we have been doing it we have the resources usually people say how come mm. a building like this to, with today exchange rate it has been changing quickly these days it's about a million dollars a park, dollars. And we have the money. And the first condition is you don't steal any money. Because when people take money away, corruption, mm. then you reduce the budget, in the best case, by 10%, 15%. But we don't steal any money, every money, every peso is put in there. And we decided, and co the people, knew what we were going to do and we have been doing it and we said we were going to do it and we are doing it mm. now that was the our it political we, we won the election I, I got elected as governor with close to a million votes the second guy got five hundred thousand so we people knew who we were we had already been in medellin and we said that we were going to do this we have political enemies and they as we get things done, we have more enemies within the political world because they say these guys are dangerous mm. because we are showing that things can be done differently. Mm. So they are said that we have to get him. 
him is myself, your friend. And <laughs> that's the political situation. Mm -hmm. So if, that's it, if something goes wrong there, I said Fajardo. That's right. my last name, Fajardo. Something goes wrong in Medellin, one of the buildings that we built, they, they don't say, well, you have to take care of the buildings. Once you build them, if you don't take care of them, they will be ruined. Mm -hmm. But then something happens there and said, it's Fajardo. I have they come after me eight years afterwards. They said, it's your fault. But that's not the problem. We are changing that society. As I said, we have political enemies. And as we move along, they are bigger because we are showing that things can be done differently. Right. It's a huge provocation, isn't it? Yeah. And you're demonstrating what we've tried to argue within terms of the national strategy for the libraries, that, that these kind of places can be part of a preventative spend. If you invest in this, it will cost you less in crime, it will cost you less in healthcare, it will cost you less in other areas. So it's they're part, investing in communities actually grows societies. Yeah, the discussion here is very different about the discussion that we have. We are discussing the peace process in Colombia, all these things. So we said we are going to do this and we are doing it. I can understand how the discussion, because we didn't know how this was going to turn out. Mm. We said we are going to do it. As I said, if you ask people, this can, can this be done? They said, no, it's impossible. How are you going to get the money? We have money. I mean, we don't have money to spare, but if we decide, and that's when we say mm -hmm. politica, politicians are the ones who make the most important decisions in society. That was our decision. It wasn't the president who told us, please go and do this in Antioquia. No, with our money, with our resources, we said, we're going to do this, 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 and that. We interact with the national government. We mm -hmm. present projects when we have to present, but that's our view. And. It, it can be done, it yeah. can be done. It's, I mean, I have gray hair <laughs> and all these things and it's, it takes time and all these things, but things can be done. Mm. Can Some I people, yeah. I'd just like to bring Amina back in and uh, ask you about a more kind of um, specifically Scottish version of this d mm -hmm. challenge. Um, resources is a huge question okay. for us in a way that it perhaps currently isn't in Colombia, which is maybe not what we would have expected coming into the discussion. Um, but one of the things that struck me working on your strategy group um, was because of the makeup of the um, of the group, there were lots of people who were very directly involved in the provision of library services. So there were heads of library services around the country and then there was folks like myself who are more tangentially kind of working with literature and mm -hmm. literacy and things but maybe not so directly in libraries and our perspectives were quite different and that we were able to kind of I think um, allow ourselves the freedom to think in these aspirational ways and about the value of libraries and what we want that to stand for in community when the reality of what a lot of people working in the library services was de were dealing with was quite different. I mean, one of the things that really struck me was talking to um, folks about, you know, about the digital divide and about the importance of having um, Wi-Fi access for as many people as possible, given how much of society, and particularly if you're on benefits or, you know, accessing services, how much of that needs to be done online. And yet people were describing how within their library service, because it was council run, the Wi-Fi in their libraries was restricted to when the IT departments of the council were on staff, i.e. 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, so there's no Wi-Fi access at the weekends. And these are really, really practical issues that 
and how are, uh, it was an ongoing challenge, I think, for the strategy group to marry up these very aspirational things with the direct challenges and the delivery that people are facing on the ground. How do you feel that that was resolved during the course of our discussions and where are we sitting with, with uh, how, how do we make our way through that? Well, actually, I think it's really similar to what Sergio was saying. I think you've got to dream it. You've yeah. got to have that aspiration and you've got to articulate that aspiration, which is what we did. Yeah. And then we found that the government have listened to that and have responded and have supported um, that idea. So it, I think that it's it, these two things aren't aren't sitting on their own. I think we need to get a lot cleverer and smarter and and better at linking into the political um, way of working and, and working out. Um, li I, I feel really strongly that libraries um, have so many ways where they strategically link to other other objectives. And we need to really clearly articulate that so the policy makers and people who are making the agendas can see that, that they're part of the picture, that they can be part of a solution. And Wi-Fi, etc., is, is a prime example. And quite often, I mean, um, you and I were down in London listening to William mm -hmm. Seacart when, when he was saying, um, this was a review in England of English libraries. It's the most vulnerable people that are using these services. So the people who are making the decisions about them sometimes haven't stepped in. They're thinking about what a library was like 50 years ago or you know, a long time ago. They're not using the services often. And so they, they get a shock. I mean, my, my dad got a shock when I told him when I worked in Dundee, I was frequently phoning ambulances for people taking drug over. This is a common thing in libraries. They're really um, vulnerable, isolated people uh, with lots of problems that are coming in. It's not middle-class ladies you know, reading romance novels. And so this is a, a, it's a real challenge to get policymakers and people to understand that. And I think that's what we need to be really smart about in order to represent those people and to empower those people and empower the people who are involved in the services. Mm. Don't be paralyzed by those opinions. People ask me sometimes, and how are you guarantee that this building is going to be working 20 years from now? I, I can't. We have built the building, we have shown what can be done there, we have the resources to keep them very well kept, but there could be someone who came after and said, we're not going to put the money there and mm -hmm. they, it will be turned down. Mm -hmm. I would be sad, but that's why what politics is about. Society makes decisions. You chose this person, they made decisions, then they affected your lives. 20 years from now, who, how am I going to know about it? Three years ago, the, the price of oil was $100 per barrel, and now it's 50. It has changed, but we have to take the steps. And that's how, whenever, wherever we have one of these, because they want it, it wasn't my present. So they want it, and they will have to take care of it, and the community will have to know how to handle those things. Otherwise, I will be paralyzed. 20 years from now, <laughs> I don't know, I may not be around here. Yeah. And but we have to dare to do it and take the steps and, yeah. and people solve problems. And what do you do afterwards? It's your yeah. problem. Right. You, you have to design, the, uh, create, innovate. I'm not asking for, what for the a blueprint. now rather than what might occur in the future. And here you are yeah. very, I mean, I understand. I said, well, these discussions said for us, for us, we are careful with the money, of course, and we know what we are doing, and we take care, good, good care of every single peso. Mm. But I'm not, I, I'm not worrying about 20 years from now. Right. 
I, actually, we have to go faster, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Well, we're almost, uh, we're actually 25 to, so we've got 10 minutes left for some questions from the floor, if you have them. You have the hands up straight away. If you just wait for the mic, um, and I'll take the chap on the right here first. Thank you. Sorry. Um, you were talking about political resistance. I wondered what the reaction from the people like the FARC and the ALNE was to that, given that what you're delivering is the sort of thing that they ought to be delivering if they stand for anything at all these days. And also the paramilitar in, in that, because that's obviously a big part of what you've been fighting against and trying to transform. At the state level, we, the government that I preside, we say we support the peace negotiations. And what we, ha what we are doing is we show what can be done. The countryside, we can do wonderful things, like these places, build roads. I didn't show anything about roads and other things that we need. But what we are doing is showing what it means to approach our society from a different perspective, not from the perspective of destruction, but construction. And so this is an example. Now, we have had this conflict for more than 50 years. I, myself, and we in our government, we, as soon as President Santos said that he was going to start a negotiation process, we said we are going to prepare ourselves for peace. But peace has to be built there. It's not in Bogota or in La Habana, where they are negotiating, that are going to tell us, you do this in Antioquia. No, we have, with these communities, we have to do the things. We have to build peace in the territory. But we can do it. And these very basic things are going to be crucial, because it's not that you are here and then you have to jump all the way to here, but you have to learn first, have a dream, and then you have to learn how to walk. And little by little, many things that are changing people's lives would be acceptable and we can move forward. And what we have done is we have shown that things can be done. And we are transforming community, we are involving community, we are getting to the countryside, we are getting to many places. So I don't know what they think. We have had this problem in Colombia for too long, but I know that whenever there is a peace process sign and finish, they are going to have to look at us and say, this can be done. So another few hands up. Chap here on the left. Thanks. Hi. Um, yeah, it seems to me very crucial that uh, there is an involvement of the community uh, in all this, this development. So how does that, how do the panel feel that squares with the increasing removal of libraries, museums, sports uh, trusts, rather to, uh, to, to arm's length trusts with appointed boards, uh, very partnerships and things of that nature, and away from a directly uh, democratic controlled uh, community-based uh, organization. How does that square? I mean, well, that's really interesting because about 33% of libraries in Scotland are now uh, managed by trusts who are appointed board. Glasgow Life is, uh, is one of those trusts. Um, Dundee, where I worked, is one. Fife is one. In actual fact, libraries have a really strong role, and we've, we've got this in the strategy as well, uh, about um, helping 
people understand how these boards work. Being involved in those boards, the boards are actually often made up of stakeholders from across Scotland, from the community. Um, and really, there's a, an opportunity there to encourage people to be part of that, to be aware of it. Um, I'm actually from an ethnic minority background. I'm on the board of the National Library of Scotland. And somebody approached me in, uh, from an organisation about increasing diversity in boards. And he said, you know, you're only one of 13 people across Scotland from an ethnic minority involved in a board. I mean, that's staggering. And that made me think, well, how many women are on these boards? How many people from other communities are on the board? What are the, what's the diversity? And actually, I think that libraries have a huge role there. We can start opening that up, opening up these conversations. And um, we've been speaking to people in the Scottish government who have a remit for that. And we can really do something there. There's a real opportunity. It's not so much about the boards and how they're managed. It's about that transparency mm -hmm. and people being aware of it as you were saying people want to know what's going on and um, so that they can trust it and that they're part of it and part of that is about um, being open and having those conversations and starting to say to people, do you know this is how things are managed? I had no idea. You know, you, sometimes you're just completely unaware of the scale of that um, when you look at it across, across the piece. So you're right, but um, often many of these trusts are doing amazing work. You know, really good, good library services sit within these trusts. So it's not so much that it's a negative thing, it's just about let's open it up, let's make things transparent. Oh, sorry. One of the problems that we've seen in New York with libraries is that during hard economic times, conservative governments will uh, cut back on libraries. It'll be one of the first uh, candidates for uh, economic cutbacks. And it's very difficult to make out a case, you know, as you have, that it's an underpinning of democracy. But um, we find that, uh, that during hard times, libraries are more critical than ever. Yeah. That uh, you, they, they are uh, job centers. They're places where the internet is available to homeless unemployed people and so on. Uh, and uh, we've had a very difficult time making out a case, particularly with some of the conservative governments. Mayor Bloomberg comes to mind, Mayor Giuliani before him and so on. And I wonder if that's the same kind of problem you're experiencing. I think that's absolutely right, and it's back to what we were saying earlier. It depends on the political forces, um, but I think there's a opportunity to have discussions with the politicians and to describe it and to understand their language. I think that's why we need to be smart about advocacy and be able to make that case within the UK, um, Scotland, of course, is, is governed by in a different way from, from Westminster, where there's a Conservative government, and politically we're moving in two very different directions, which is quite an interesting um, issue. And I know that in England, um, so many libraries, like the, the one in Birmingham, where at the moment they've built this amazing library, mm. and now they don't have any money for books. They've been asking for donations for the public to give the books. So, you know, this is, they say it's due to Westminster cuts, where it doesn't, libraries don't fit into their agenda, but actually, I think no matter what the political makeup, we need to start articulating that, and and, and doing it really smartly, no matter who's in charge, because 
there are so many people that are depending on it. As you say, in times of um, economic downturn, that's when libraries, and we've seen people in droves coming to libraries in Scotland now to uh, make uh, applications for welfare benefits and everything you have to do online, you have to come in. And libraries forever have been a sanctuary for the homeless, forever, and, and wherever you are. So um, I think, uh, absolutely, these are huge, huge challenges for us, and, and uh, but we can do it. <laughs> it's just, we, we can do it. We're going to squeeze oh, in one sure. very <laughs> quick last question, um, Phil, with just the lady on the end there, just if you can keep it succinct. Slightly more of an observation than a question. Um, the thing that really struck me was um, uh, that Sergio was talking about constructing spaces that were holistic in their outlook, and, I th and, and then thinking about the situation that we have here, we hive off libraries, we hive off education, we hive off civic development um, so that it becomes a case that you have to make a choice, or, or it's perceived that you have to make a choice. You know, we can fund education, but then we can't fund libraries, or we can fund libraries, but then that would mean we wouldn't have this lovely new civic building, or whatever it might be. Um, I wonder whether there's something to learn here in, in, in shifting how we make connections in terms of the poli political situation. That was it. Observation. Thank you. Sergio, do you want to respond quite quickly to that one? <laughs> it's very interesting. Here, we don't have castles in Colombia, <laughs> but we are building very special places. This castle here, it's from the 12th century. I don't know. Nine. Nine. Thank you. We were even walking around there in Colombia. We are solving different things with the same basic set of principles. That's your challenge, mm. to find those places. I don't know what is going to happen afterwards, mm. but I know what is going to happen today, and whatever happens today is going to influence what happens afterwards in a very positive sense. So for us, we are very young a little more than 500 years when the Spanish came in, just set the foot there. So we have gone through many things, but I deeply believe in human spirit and things can be done and we are as smart as anyone, as capable of, as anyone, not more but not less than anyone in the planet, and extraordinary things can be done. Terrible things can be done too, and that's the permanent challenge that we have. But uh, I am optimistic. Mm. I am optimistic because I have seen, and that's very personal, but I have seen how a community changes, how people look differently, how they talk differently. This can be destroyed. That I, that I know. But our challenge is that it continues. Mm. And that's why this is all politics. Yeah. And I never thought I would be in politics. I came here 20 years ago as a mathematician with a group of experts in mathematical logic, my area in mathematical logic, and I had the privilege of giving a set of lectures at Maxwell's house about mathematics. And today I am here at the book festival talking about these things. I never dreamed about this, but I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
I think you'll agree with me that libraries in um, both um, Antioquia and in Scotland are in fairly good hands. Um, I realised at the beginning I didn't give you much of a um, clarity or a good description around what Theatre Mundi do, so I'm just going to wave to John Bingham Hall, who is here. Can you just put your hand up? And if anybody would like to learn a little bit more about that project and how they brought these people together and the other bits and pieces they're doing in the festival, do give um, John a shout. Um, we don't have a book sign-in per se after this event, um, but I'm sure our panellists will mill out the front and um, maybe continue this chat with any more questions you might have. Thank you for coming and thank you so much to Sergio Ferrado and to Amina Shah. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest.